Welcome to the Remodel Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Camille Finan, and I'm a female cabinet maker and kitchen designer in California. And I believe there is a revolution happening inside the construction industry right now. And more women than ever are thriving and living life on their terms in the construction world. Listen in as I interview my friends, colleagues, and women that inspire me working in the trades. A glimpse into the variety of creative careers, these women, their financial success, and freedom. Let's start the show. Hey guys, thanks so much for joining me today on the show. We've got um, just an amazingly interesting woman. Barbara Allen um, has been just done so many incredible things in her career. And specifically, she's been a superintendent, but she's, I mean, literally started from the ground up. And we're going to dive deep into, you know, this whole idea of being a project manager or superintendent. Like, how do you go from the, you know, the field to the inside office and running huge projects? Um, so, Barb, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you. I'm excited to do this. Yeah. So you have, so you're a carpenter. I was a carpenter. Um, what What was your first, like, did you join the union first? Like, what was your local union? Like, shout it out if you remember it. <laughs> I was in Carpenters Local 61 out of Kansas City. Woo-hoo, there you go. I was 152 out of California. One, Martinez. <laughs> Um, and so, I mean, you you just have a breadth of experience on so many levels. Um, if I read your, you know, your bio, like I would think literally you're a hundred years old. <laughs> you have so much experience back into several hundred years old, several decades, and you look like you're 30, which I know you can't be quite 30, but um so, I mean, take us back to, I'd like to even start with, why did you become a carpenter? I mean, you're small, you're thin, you're petite. You don't look like a carpenter any more than I looked like it, right? And this was even more like, more unlikely, you know, 30 plus years ago. Why did you even choose that? Can you remember like where that even came from? Yeah, it actually, um, I, when I went to college, I started out in business management and I hated it. So then I switched to uh, secondary education and was going to be a math teacher like my mom. And I got to like Calc 4 and was getting my first D ever. And I was like, well, this is not happening. Uh, so I almost quit college and I was scanning through the, the course book because I'd called a friend of mine and said, Hey, I got to call my mom and tell her I'm going to drop out of college till I figure out what I want to do. Cause I was just wasting my money. And he, he knew my mom and he's like, no way you can call your mom and tell her you're dropping out of college. Look through the course book one more time. And when mm-hmm. I did, I found construction management. Somehow I missed it the other times, but as soon as I read of the course descriptions for construction management bachelor's degree, I was sold. I knew exactly that's what I wanted to do. I went and met with the dean of that college the next week. I got enrolled. I finished um, college and um, I went to work for a large general contractor in Kansas City who was um, affiliated with the unions. And I wanted to be a superintendent. I knew I wanted to be a superintendent and that company the only way they hired to train you to become a superintendent was put you in the union, in the carpenters union, where you had to wear your bags and learn how to build and work in the field so that you could truly know how to run a job site. So that is how I ended up in the carpenters union. Wow. So I know for sure you were the only woman there because you were, you had to have been the same timing I was there. So I was actually three Uh, There were three of us at that company at the time, and I don't know if there were any others in the city, uh, but there were three, um, and they were were probably each about 10 years older than me and had worked their way up in the field. Okay. And did either of those women make it through? Do you know? Uh, Yeah, they they both are superintendents uh, today. Nice. Okay. So for those of, you know, those of us that are listening that may not know, what is a superintendent? How would you describe what a superintendent does that's maybe different from the guy that's framing or, you know, doing the interiors? 
Sure. The way I describe it to people who aren't familiar with construction is I say, when you drive by a construction job site, there's one person in charge of everything that is happening physically on site. That's the superintendent. That's what I did. So how did you know that you wanted to be the person bossing everybody around? (laughs) in the beginning just reading the catalog right I would love for my parents to or my brother to answer that question um but I I just I've always liked being in charge I've always liked leading people and um when you're graduating with a degree in construction management there's typically maybe four avenues you go down whether it's uh superintendent project management scheduling or estimating. And superintendent's the only one that is full-time in the field and has full-time people engagement. The other positions are very much numbers and and paper and some people interaction, uh, but definitely office positions. And I wanted to be with people and outside. Interesting. That's one of the reasons I think I chose uh, when I, you know, obviously started business as well. And I think that's part of what caught my attention was the physicality and the movement and the fact that I was outside. Like, I think that was part of it too, was I didn't want to be in an office, right? All day long. So um, that's a great explanation. And I like your explanation between the others, because that can be, even I wasn't quite sure, like really what is the difference between a project manager and an estimator? And so, you know, that's inter- It's a good um, clarification between those. So, well, and I'll, yeah, I'll, go ahead. T- I'll tell you a story real quick. Um, I so I graduated college in December, so I started in January, and in Kansas City, um, not the warmest month. And it was um, two weeks after I started, I was working one day, and it was 35 below with wind chill, and we got six inches Uh-oh. of snow. Um, from the time I got there until our uh, very old school superintendent finally let us go home about 2:30 that day. And I remember thinking, I went to college for this, Um, (laughs) but I still wouldn't change it. You know, I mean, having to work out there in those conditions helped me learn like what what it is that slows down production or speeds up production and how temperatures can affect people and productivity and materials and everything else. I, I wouldn't change any of it, but that day I was seriously rethinking how I had spent my college funds. Right. Yeah. I think my moment was, uh, it gets quite hot here. We're like kind of in the valley before the foothills. And so uh, one of my first union jobs was framing roofs, right? Trusses, rolling trusses in like 110 degree weather. Oh man, let me tell you. Um, And I liked being up high. I mean, I liked walking on the, you know, all that stuff. And that part really didn't scare me. But man, trying to do that in 110 degree weather, Uh it changed just from 90 degrees, which is still hot, right? 90 Mm -hmm. to 100. I was like, wow, this is like, you got to, this is really hard to do and not be distracted and not be dangerous because (laughs) you're so distracted by how uncomfortable you are, right? Yes. um, I can see how cold does the same thing. Yes. Um, so, so how many years did it take you to go from maybe working on a $3 million project to like a $120 million project, which is like massive, like give us a scope of that. Like, yeah. So, years. um, I was very fortunate the, the working for a large company, like I did, uh, we did a lot of big projects and they, they put me on the big projects. So even as I was, um, coming up, I, I was an assistant superintendent on a, which was, is basically the second person in charge, um, on a hundred million dollar job in Des Moines back in two, 2001. So I had been, oh, now I'm telling you my age. Don't do the math. Okay. I'm not. Um, so <laughs> I, let's see. So five years, within five years, um, wow. out of college, I was the second person in charge of a hundred million dollar job. Wow. So that's incredible. Um, I can see that being very exciting and also a little bit anxiety provoking, right? Like, can you talk about maybe the the pluses of that. And then just emotionally, like, how did you get to feel prepared for that level of responsibility? Um, that's an interesting question. Cause I don't know that I ever 
don't know that I really processed that. I think, and maybe for me, it was because the bigger thing, the bigger change was leaving Kansas City. I grew up in Kansas City. I thought I'd always live in Kansas City. And this job was three hours away in Des Moines. So I was um, I was in a whole new town. And the contractor that I worked for was like, I mean, at that time we had 45, maybe 45% of the work in Kansas City. So we were the big dog. You go to another town that nobody knows you. And it was a whole new set of proving myself again, but just getting to know all the players in town. Um, that was that was um that was probably a bigger struggle for me than learning how to be in charge on a hundred million dollar project. Because I think as projects, as I grew up in projects, I just took on responsibility as I saw it available. Um, so I don't know that I have a great answer to that question. That's okay. So it sounds like you felt kind of prepared for it. Like it didn't, it was, it was a little bit nerve wracking, but not insurmountable basically. is what it sounds exactly. like. Yeah. I think, yeah, maybe the hardest thing getting used to working um, on that project was that in Des Moines, they had bagels instead of donuts. And I really wanted donuts on Fridays. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, <laughs> you were made to be a superintendent. So, okay. So what, uh, what would you say like the natural, where would you say your ambition came from? Cause this is a, it's a very ambitious list of job titles. Like, you know, some, I mean, I know people that stay a project manager their whole life or stay a superintendent their whole life or stay. And yet you continued all the way up to, you know, operations director and an, an owner's representative. Like, you know, these are, this is very ambitious list of job titles. So where do you think that came from? Um, you know, I grew up in a family that even from my grandparents standpoint, it was, you can be whatever you want to be. You just got to work hard to make it happen. I come from a very long line of hardworking people who just make it happen. Um, so I don't think I ever saw anything any other way. If I wanted to be somewhere, I just had to figure out how to get there. And yeah. I think the same with it's it's the same with the career ladder. So I knew I wanted to be a superintendent. So I, um, you know, I, I did the work that I needed to to get there. And in all honesty, when I got to a certain level, I, although there were a couple levels above me, I did not feel that um, my particular boss at that time was going to see my ability to move into those upper positions. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like I had a choice where I could um, get to a higher level. And what I chose to do was change ladders. And that's when I went into the pre-construction department because I thought, man, I don't know anything about pre-construction. And it was a big deal for the company. They'd never had anyone go from the field side to pre-construction. And they kept thinking and asking me like, are you sure? Like this is unprecedented, right? But um, a, a good answer to um, a side answer, maybe to your question, when I went into the pre-construction department and granted, I was only there a year because I hated it. It was not fun. It was not me. I could not sit behind a computer all day and do that, <laughs> but I learned a lot from it. But when I started, they, they want you to set three or five goals for the year. Well, I set 16 goals. And my boss wouldn't even let me put them all on paper. He's like, this is just not realistic. You need to just have three to five goals. So I said, okay, here are my three to five goals. And then here's my addenda that goes with it. And within that year, I hit every one of those 16 goals. If I set my mind to it, I know I'm going to figure out how to get there. What's your astrological sign? I'm a Taurus. <laughs> that, does, that does not surprise me. I love it. <laughs> Steady, hardworking, uh -huh. uh, conscientious, ambitious. That does not surprise me. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's talk a little bit about like some of the, maybe the challenges that you had. I know you are, you know, you're transitioning, you have transitioned out of doing those things. And we're going to talk a little bit about what you're doing now, but I know that you have kind of a, you have a, you have really good insight into the difference between communication of like men and women on job sites, right? Like you've been in so many different layers from the very, very ground up, swinging the hammer, 
to very high up inside the organization. So you've worked with a lot of men and women. What what do you see are some of the areas that go that go wrong in, with having women specifically in the trades? And then what happens on job sites between men and women? Like, what have you seen that happens? Um, okay, so I want to tell a story and then I may need you to ask me those two questions again. Okay. Um, <laughs> I can get a little sidetracked. Um, but when I started as a carpenter on those really cold days I was telling you about, it, when I first, my first day, I showed up in brand new Carhartts, brand new boots, um, and not carpenter bags. So I was putting nails in my pockets. And um, so each day I would see what the guys I was working with, what tools they were using. And I would leave and I would go to Home Depot at night and I would buy what I saw that they were using that day. And I did that for probably two weeks until I finally was like, oh my gosh, I don't need any of the stuff anymore. Um, But one thing I realized was the way they were talking to each other. Um, The, my carpenter foreman and my labor foreman, they would yell and scream and cuss at each other. Mm-hmm. And 15 minutes later, it was like it never happened. And that is not female conversational styles that I grew up with. I mean, from what I saw, if women were to do that to each other, we not only would not speak to each other, we would, we would not never let talk our friends to each other talk to our again. other friends. Like, <laughs> that's not a thing. And so instead of Home Depot that particular night, I went to Barnes & Noble. And I was looking for a book that would teach me how can I talk like that? Because if someone comes and yells at me at like that, I don't want to be so hurt over it that it, it affects my career, right? I need to figure out how to let that stuff roll off my back. And so that night I found a book by Deborah Tannen called Talking from Nine to Five. And it was the differences between male and female conversational styles. And I, it was the most important tool probably that I've ever purchased um, for my tool bag. And highly recommend it. I don't know if it's been updated, but it just taught me how men and women speak differently uh, so that I could learn those male conversational styles. And I know there's a lot of conversation out there today about women shouldn't have to change who they are or become male-ish to succeed. And I don't disagree with that a hundred percent, but Back in 1997, that's exactly what I I felt I needed to do. Mm -hmm. I needed to blend in. I needed to figure out how to be one of the guys and adapting male communication styles is what I needed to do. Now, being the only woman I saw most every day for 20 years, um, I struggle, to be honest, with female conversations. I don't always come across as empathetic um, as other women would like me to. And so when I transitioned to the owner's rep role, on the owner's rep side, there's only a few of us in construction in a very large nationwide company. And most of my interaction during the day in an office setting was with the women in finance or the women in marketing or HR. And that was a big transition for me. So learning to then after 20 years, learn how to communicate with women, I kind of felt like I was starting over. So that was my long story that now you may have to go back and ask me the other two questions. Yeah, no, I I like that because it gives us some context to your opinions or, you know, around these things. So when you say you went sort of inside the office and were as an owner's rep, maybe explain what that is, because I think not everybody knows what that means as a job. What does the, what does an owner's representative do in a large construction company? Sure. Um, so this, uh, the, I worked for a developer and, um, so as an owner's rep for a developer, I was, I oversaw the design teams that we hired, the engineers, the architects, the branding agents, all of that for a project. And then I also oversaw the general contractors that we hired to build the project. So it was my job to see it from napkin sketch to punch list to where our team would go in and take over and start managing the buildings that we were, um, that I was managing the creation of. And so when you were working with these women, were you just a little more abrasive, a little bit too straightforward? 
did it come across really aggressive to them? Is that sort of what you felt like you felt like it was, you didn't quite know how to approach them. Is that sort of what you were thinking was happening? Yeah, I think that um, I, I think that many times, uh, particularly in certain roles, women tend to beat around the bush and I just don't have the patience for that. And so um, trying to get them to get to the point and tell me what they need, because I have a million other things going on, or when they would come and say, Hey, can you take care of this? No, that's not my job. That's your job. (laughs) Well, I don't really know how to do it. Okay. Well, I'll tell you how to do it, but I'm not going to do it for you. Like, and that's coming across just the way I said it there um, to a, to a man in the field. That's what they want. Like, just, just, just be straight with me. Tell me yes or no. And a woman would have preferred that I said, um, okay, well, I don't really have time for that, but maybe I could show you how to do that. Let me, let me give you some, you know, tips. Let me kind of walk you through it, which means the same thing, but I was just very short and to the point. And that is not what they were expecting from someone that looked like me so that it just created some strife until I could, uh, could figure out how to do it a little more gingerly. And they also learned how to communicate with me as well. Right. So it softened it a little bit. And I've, yeah. And I've kind of had that same, I think I have the same thing. I have a very direct style, which obviously probably comes from the same thing is like, I had to do that to just create that, you know, you have to create a defense mechanism on some level. We had to 30 years ago, right. Just to even be included, to get stuff yeah. done, to be taken yeah. seriously. So it does create a very direct communication style. And um, I can see how, it may come across a little bit abrasive sometimes or just not caring or whatever, you know, however we want to characterize it. Um, And so what did you end up doing sort of later? I know that you, you do coaching now, you do a lot of public speaking, you know, are you, are you helping men understand women and women understand men inside of construction companies or is it directly related to communication style, but is it also just, how people are in a, you know what I mean? Like how they work together. Yeah. I think that right, right now I'm more helping women um, in male dominated fields increase their success um, by better understanding communication, um, how something may be said or how they can say something, how they can present themselves, how they can ask for a raise, how they can um, discuss a promotion, how they can talk about things that are not um, maybe uncomfortable or just thank you. Yeah, things yeah. that are uncomfortable. Uh, but what I also really want to do and have not done much of yet um, is helping men better understand what they can do for allyship for women um, and to help the people, the women that work for and with them. Um, Because one of the things that I've really realized uh, the last few years and the last five years probably is there's a great group. There are a lot of men out there that really, they want to help women. They, they, they want to be part of the change as well. They do support women. But what's interesting is I have noticed that many of these men also don't think there's as big of an issue as there really is. And it's because of unconscious bias. And as an example, um, there is a man that I'm thinking of right now that he had a very strong mother. He had two very strong sisters. He grew up where women were just equal. It wasn't a, it wasn't a, It's not something that crosses his mind. Right. But when he and I were having conversations, like he would say, you're such a feminist. And I'm like, okay, but so are you. And talking about the more we talked about things I'd been through, he was just shocked. And he's been in the construction industry as long as I have, but because he never thought the way some of these men have thought, 
he didn't really realize it was happening. And so once it was brought to his attention, he started noticing it and he, I would get phone calls. Oh my gosh, I just saw this today. How do I help this person? You know, I'm like, okay, this is, they don't even realize that there's a, a lot of men wanting to help us one-on-one, but what they could really do is help us by pushing this message and noticing it throughout the other men in the industry. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's like influencing other men, not, I mean, yes, help the women, but also help inside the other conversations where a woman is not present. Yes. Right. Or guide the, uh, for lack, I'm not saying legislation, but like guide the rules or the things that make it more comfortable for a woman to not feel um, undermined or, you know, condescended to, or, or whatever, more harshly judged, whatever we're going to do that makes it harder to do your job. It's also just that allyship when she's not there and it's influencing the other men. I mean, I know specifically like with my husband who is obviously strongly supports me right personally as his wife (laughs) loves that. I'm a carpenter has done amazing things to help my own, you know, career and business. And he's been nothing but supportive but I've watched the difference in him over, you know, we've now been married 20 years. And when we first met, he was a hundred percent completely supportive of me personally, but do anything to help me with my own business. But I've watched the difference in him over 20 years of the conversations that I've heard about that he has instigated with other men, not even around supporting me around other women in his job site. He's an electrician. And he has gone above and beyond to create his own like allyship with his other men and yes. gone to bat fighting with them, you know, not fighting, but, you know, fun arguing about it and job site politics and different stuff. And like, I've watched the change in him that isn't related to me personally anymore. Right. right. So I think right. that's kind of what we're talking about. It's like, it's like another 10 steps past that first thing. Um and he's fought very strongly for women to become electricians. Like he thinks they're just flat out better, better, more detailed, more conscientious, um, you know, just very much safety concern. And that's like comes out of his own mouth. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, I think that's that's very interesting. And so you're thinking of possibly doing going into organizations and helping those men create different kinds of leaders that are true right. That are kind of really, really pushing the industry. Cause it's still very yes. much the same industry. It's still a very small percentage of women on actual job sites, very small percentage, even though it feels like we've made a lot of progress we have, it's still, when you really look at the numbers, you know, for the amount of opportunity that's there job site wise, right. Like there's so many jobs available that are open yes. and there's still a very small amount of women that are applying for them. Well, and for me, if if I remember correctly, when I started in the industry, women were 9%. And I believe now they're about 11%. And that is not just field by any means. That's women in the industry in all positions. But that's over 20 years and we've moved 2%. So there have been some great changes. Yeah, a lot of statistics would say it's still around 3 to 5 on actual swinging a hammer. Yes, like totally agree. Like, like really small. Yes. And that is the same it's been for 30 years. Like it's it's almost hasn't moved at all. Yes. So and that's with all the schools and all the talk about it and all the you know things about it. So um yeah, it's it still has not moved as much as it should, given that women are half of the population. <laughs> right. We're 50 and 50, right? Yes. Um, so, okay, well, that's really interesting. Well, so can you maybe, let's just imagine there's some young woman on a job site right now. Maybe she works for a large GC and she's thinking of becoming a superintendent or moving from, you know, swinging the hammer to up a little bit. What would be like three tips that you would give her that can really help elevate her um, outside of hiring you as a coach or setting some really strong goals. Like what are, what are things that you think she could do on the job site to become noticed or to make her ambitions known or somehow move up, you know, to a higher level? 
Yeah, I think one of the one of the really important things is learning the differences between male and female conversational styles. I'm I'm not saying you have to adopt male communication styles, but you have to understand how they communicate so that you can communicate effectively to get what you need um, Mm -hmm. from or with them. Um, A second tip would be advocating for yourself. Um, Whenever, you know, there's an opportunity and saying, Hey, I want that. Hey, the next time this comes up, I want that opportunity. I want that making sure they know what you want And my visual for this uh, that I did at a conference a few years back was imagine an ice cream truck. You walk up to an ice cream truck and just smile at the guy. He has no idea what you want, right? Right. He knows you want ice cream. He doesn't know what you want about ice cream. Your bosses know you want to be in construction. They don't know what you want until you tell them. Do you want mint Um, chip? Do you want caramel? Like, how ambitious are you? Like, you know... Exactly. Throwing it out into the universe and saying, hey, I want to be a superintendent one day. And you know what? Somebody, the first person you may say that to may laugh. And then what, you know, when you get there in a few years, you can laugh back at them. Um, But you've got to let people know what you want so that those doors start to open. They don't know to open doors for you until you tell them. They don't know you want a drumstick until you tell them. Right, Um, exactly. And the third thing I would say, and I never thought I would say this um, probably 10 years ago, but becoming part of a women's networking group in your particular um, trade, Um, trade or construction or whatever. I know for the first 15 years of my career, I did everything I could to stay away from women because I so badly wanted to be one of the guys. Um, But in 2013, when I was asked to join uh, NAWIC in particular, I did not want to join NAWIC. I did not want to go to a meeting that was all women. And um, 10 years later now, nine, I, my, some of my best friends are from the industry. Once I learned that there are other women that are really going through the same things that I could say, hey, this happened and they have feedback or they can just listen and they've had similar experiences it completely changed the trajectory of my career when I started becoming part of a group of strong women that wanted to make it together. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Cause I know you and I have talked personally, we both had pretty much the same feeling of that was that we worked so hard where we were at to prove ourselves all the time that there was just no emotional. It felt like there was no emotional space to work or be around women, right? Like somehow it was like a zero sum game. Like it's either this or that. And we both felt almost identical that we were never going to join those organizations. Um, And mine was on top of that because I own my own company. So I didn't, I wasn't really part of any like trade groups in that way, you know? Um, So I like that you bring that up though, because you were like a true cynic. (laughs) We were both like, totally. and now you feel like it really gave you that uh, sense of belonging and that authenticity, like someone like, you know, you and I both know what it's like to be a carpenter. So we don't really, there's a lot that we don't have to explain about that. Right. And it's hard to find people in your personal life, your husbands, your friends, your neighbors, whatever, that really know what you're going through. And so these women's organizations, they know what it's actually like, what you're talking about. So I can see why that would have been so um, comforting and helpful. And um, yes, we will put a link to, uh, you know, NAWIC as well. Um, are there any other organizations that you th- feel were like personally just very, very helpful? Not that I'm thinking of off the top of my head. Yeah, that's fine. If you, if you think of something, we'll add it later. Sure. Um, okay. So that's what you would suggest is basically be assertive, be be direct, be communicative, say what you think about what you want, say it, you know, put it out in the universe. Um, and then what about like, what do you think about offering or doing like, um, not really apprenticeships, but like, cause I'm imagining someone who may not know exactly what a superintendent does, right? She knows maybe she's ambitious and she knows she wants a little bit higher up job, but she may not know what 
what that job is. And so it kind of holds her back from asking for it. Like, how would she find out about the next job, right? Like, how could she do that? Would she just reach out to the uh, superintendent she knows and say, hey, I'd love to like shadow you for a day. Or can I meet with you and take you to lunch and you tell me about your job and what it's like? Or like, what would be an appropriate way to get that information? Because it's not always obvious, right? Right. Um, So a couple stories to go with that. One, um, so there is a, there is a young lady that um, she was in high school. I've told you the story, uh, Camille, but I'll just give a quick synopsis here. She knew she wanted to be a carpenter and she didn't know how to go about it. And she was a senior in high school and told her school counselor and her school counselor hooked her up or told her she didn't know, right. To just start Googling. And uh, she Googled and found NAWIC. And I happened to be the president of Kansas city chapter at that time. And she reached out and I was like, absolutely, come shadow me for a day. Um, And she is now on her path to become a superintendent. Um, But the other story I wanted to say is when I did quit the corporate world and decided to start my own business, when I put that uh, announcement out on LinkedIn, I had so many men and women reach out to me and say, what are you going to do? I want to know the amount of women who wanted to help me in whatever way they could, not even knowing what I was going to do was amazing. And I say all that to say, I think times are changing where women want to help women. Right. And so if you just start putting it out into the universe that, Hey, I've been thinking about this. Even if you don't know someone, somebody, you know, knows someone that they can say, Hey, Maybe I I know someone who is an electrician and let me hook you up with her. Maybe we can just go grab drinks or coffee or lunch. Um, Just start asking somebody, you know, knows someone. And although we're all super busy, especially right now in construction with um, how the pandemic affected us, people will make time. We want more women in the industry, in the trades, in everything with the industry. So we will make time just yeah. Start putting it out into the universe and they, what do you, they, if you build it, they will come. If you say it, they will come. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like manifest it yourself. Right. Yes. Yeah. And it takes a little, little bit. I mean, you know, if you're going to be in construction, I think personally it, it pulls people, pulls women that have a personality typically that are a little bit going against the stream or a little bit, you know, they're not looking for something that's maybe the most typical, or there's something about them that they're maybe a little bit more assertive, like just be a little bit more assertive maybe, and tell more people in your circle um, until you find that right person, that mentor that can, like you said, give you that little bit of a leg up, or even just explain what the job is or explain the requirements. You know, you have to take a little bit of that on yourself, right? To get what you want. So you do. It, it always bears, it always bears repeating, right? You have to ask for what you want. Um, well, I have, if I oh, can add ahead. something real quick, I think to um, most, if not all of the NAWIC chapters, which NAWIC is National Association of Women in Construction, um, they, most, if not all, will allow guests to attend their monthly meetings. Mm-hmm. And um Therefore, you don't have to be in construction. You can just sign up to be a guest and you can go and you can walk in the door and you can sit with a table and say, hey, I'm currently doing financing or waitressing (laughs) or whatever. And I'm thinking about this. Oh, my gosh. Those women are going to be so excited to talk with you. It may be super uncomfortable, uh, especially if you're more of an introvert like myself to walk into a room like that. But those women are going to connect you. So if you can find your local chapter of some women's construction organization that allows guests to come to their meetings, try that. That's a great suggestion. That's the, I love that. That's fantastic. Um, okay. So let's, let's pivot it a little bit. And I want to talk about in January, we're doing a, uh, wealth December and January, we're going to be doing a wealth building series where we talk to a couple of women um, and men about like, what do you do with your money that you've made in construction, right? I, this is like a topic that's near and dear to my heart is like investing and planning for a good financial future. So I wanted to just ask a couple of questions around this for you, since you've, you know, you've had success, you made a little bit of, little bit of coin, right? Sure. What did you do with your 
the money that you made, the extra money. Talk to us a little bit about like, what have you done with maybe your investments or, you know, what's your feeling around that? Like, do you believe in that? Like, what do you, you know, what do you think about wealth building? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's so important. And I was very fortunate that my mom taught my brother and I um, money management starting in junior high. So um, wow, that's great. I graduated college with a pretty good understanding of money management. But I will say it wasn't until um, I went out of town on my first job and I got a per diem uh, to stay, at, you know, to live out of town for a couple of years that I was like, oh, my gosh, I have all this extra money. What do I do with it? So um, for me, I I like properties um, because they're you know they're they're going to be there. So I have uh, I, I personally have three houses. I have a second home and I have a rental house, um, and then I have the house that I live in. Um, which so there's a lot of my savings is tied up in those three houses, and then I also make sure that I max out my four hundred one k. Um, contributions each year, or at least when I had 401k contributions, the starting my own business uh, is a little right. freaking me out right now. But thank goodness I have done well with saving that I could I could do it without some income for a few months. Yeah, that's great. And then I assume you probably got a pension from the Carpenters Union or from... Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was in for 11 years. So I have a pension that will be due to me as well. Okay. And so how did you, do you remember how old you were when you bought your first house? Because buying your first house is like, it's so delicious. It's so delicious. It's like the best thing, your first house. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I totally recommend buying a house as soon as you possibly can. And I'll tell you my story. So I bought mine six months out of college. And when I, my parents thought, well, my mother, um, my mother always said, um, when, you know, when you graduate college, you're welcome to move home. But once you move out, you're out. Um, so I moved back in, uh, after college and I was there for six months and I love my parents, but after being on my own for four years, I, it was, I could not do it anymore. I had to be on my own. And I, um, because of the money management, my mom had taught us, I did not want to rent. So I bought my first house at 22 or 23. Um, what I love about that particular house story is there's another guy that I started this. We started the exact same day uh, working for the same company. And within a couple of years of working for the company, they sent us both out of town about the same time. I owned a home and he was renting. So as a homeowner, the company had to pay me per diem to be out of town for two years. So granted, this is um, back in 2000 or 2001, but I was making an extra $2,000 a month. So over two years, that was an extra $48,000 that I made um, while I was out of town on top of my salary. Now, um, the guy that I started with, he was renting. So they paid to get him out of his lease and they paid for a moving truck to move him to his temporary destination. Um, huge benefit to buying a house. He did not get the per diem because he didn't own something that was going to sit there um, while he was gone. So totally recommend buying a house if I didn't say that already three times. Yes, that's fantastic. I love that. You know, Uh, I'll just throw out there too, first time home buyers, that's what I went in at. And first time home buyers, you can usually get in. And I my understanding is right now is a great time in the market for first time home buyers. But um you can get in for such less money than normal buyers. So don't think that you have to get in for a certain big percent down. That's just do some research and start finding out. I know when I bought mine, I literally got in for like $2,500 down. Wow. That's a long time ago, ladies, but (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Well, and I also, I think you told me privately, like you just always were looking to save a percentage of your money, you were already, already thinking of how can I put this in real property? Like you were always thinking of like, how can I create an asset that will eventually generate income instead of just blowing all the income, right? Yeah. On cars and boats and clothes and like the things that we do when we're young, right? Um, you were already thinking of your future basically, even then, which was, is, was incredible. Kudos to your mom for yeah. setting that up. Well, and I'll say too, the big savings came from that per diem because it was um, my first year when I got the W-2 after my first year of per diem, I was, I looked at it and thought, oh my gosh, where did that money go? And I had, I had bought a new car and I had kind of bought things that I 
didn't need, but I enjoyed. And I was like, that's crazy. I just blew $24,000 almost in a year. And so the next year I saved every penny of that $24,000. I figured out how to do it because I just saw how quickly it went away. And so what I learned quickly off of that was every time your salary increases, put that away as much of it as you can, because you were living fine off of what you had. Yeah. Yeah. Give yourself a bump. So you feel like, wow, you, you're, you, you're successful, right? Your success is leading to more success, but you don't need that whole entire bump. Nope. Right. Yeah. And um, so I think that's really smart. Um, Okay. Well, I appreciate you sharing that story and uh, I hope you'll come in January to our, our little class that we're going to be doing and, and learn maybe some new things to do with, with real estate investing. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so let's now transition to kind of where you are now. You've had this incredible career. You know, you're still young and you're starting like a whole nother career, um, speaking and coaching, success coaching for other women in the trades. And um, tell us a little bit about like what you're excited about that, the types of women you'd really like to bring in and work with, who you really think you can help and why, and sort of, you know, what you're what you're excited about in this next stage of life. Yeah, I, I what I really want to do is increase the success of women in male-dominated fields. And I want to do that through one-on-one uh, coaching, through group coaching, through public speaking, through training sessions. Um, and I'm doing a little bit of all of that now, but I want I want to be able to reach those women that are trying to climb those male-dominated ladders so I can give them some of my experience to help them avoid some of the pitfalls that I went through. Um, I want to, you know, reach organizations that are wanting to um, really help the women in their organizations succeed. And I also want to reach those men that are like, okay, what is allyship exactly? And how can I make this better for my sister, my wife, my daughters, my granddaughters? What what can I do to make this better so that women can really increase their success in male-dominated industries? Wow, that's a lot. It's a (laughs) lot, right? But it sounds fun, though. I mean, it sounds like it's all really exciting you know, I mean, I, you know, I love business ownership because it's basically a creative process. You're creating something from nothing. And I love creation. I love making something from nothing. So I love that you're, you know, we'll bring you back on the show and maybe, you know, a year from now, you'll have a bunch of clients who have helped all these women, you know, grow their success even more, have some amazing stories of men that you've really helped, um, you know, build their organizations, Right. Um, and I, I just think it's so fun that you can continue to grow and shift and change in this construction industry, but like in a, in a whole nother way. I just love it. Thanks. I'm excited. It was, it was just time to stop focusing on my success and start helping others be able to do what I've done and so much more. Yeah, that's fabulous. Well, good. Well, we will definitely have you back on the show. And, um, and I just want to end this by saying your a fun fact about you is that your favorite tool is a palm sander. <laughs> so let's talk about that. What brand and why? Um, you know, um, my, mine is a Makita and I love how it takes all the rough edges and mm-hmm. it makes it's so satisfying, makes it smooth and beautiful. I, yeah. I love that. Yeah, I love it. Well, everybody in the show knows my favorite tool is my stiletto hammer, um, <laughs> my, little, my little finish hammer. <laughs> but but I do love a good sander. But my favorite brand is Festool, and oh. mine is the mine is the Rotex One Hundred and Fifty because it's a combination rotary grinder with a oh. sanding pad and a finishing sander, an orbital. So it's two in one. So you can basically start super rough, like a live edge with bark grind it off and then I'll actually finish it with the orbital side. So I'm not sure if awesome. you've tried a festival, but the Rotex 150 is incredible. It's like the only sander anybody ever needs, basically. I'm uh, totally writing that down. <laughs> that and that in their cordless drill, the festival little cordless drill, the CXS. It's a D-shaped one. It's really, really small. CXS 50, I think it's called. Um yeah, I'll screen, I'll send you a picture. 
but it's please do it'll be your, it'll be your favorite cordless drill. I mean, Christmas is like coming up. Nothing. I can quickly add these to my list. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it basically, weighs like nothing. Like when it's it comes with a little hook, right? So when it's hooked hooked off your bag on the side, like if you're doing crown molding or you're up on a ladder, like you can't even. It's like maybe the weight of half a coffee cup, maybe. Might even be Love less it. than a coffee cup. It weighs like nothing. Love it. <laughs> yeah. Versus a heavy drill that's like hanging off of you, right? Yes. Um, so this has been delightful. Thanks so much for sharing, um, you know, just a very, very interesting career. And, you know, I love that you're open to sharing your experiences and helping so many women. Um, so ladies, if you are struggling or not struggling, but you really want to connect with someone, I highly recommend you getting in touch with Barb and seeing how she can help you, you know? So, um, you know, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you. Uh, This was super fun. I very much enjoyed it. Thank you. listening to remodel your life i sure have enjoyed being with you today and if you really like our show we'd love it if you would subscribe through itunes you can always send us feedback through email at camille at remodelyourlifepodcast.com and i'll see you next week thank you for listening to the remodel your life podcast This episode has ended, but your remodeling journey can continue. Head over to RemodelYourLifePodcast.com to access all the resources, tools, and links mentioned in this episode. Until next time, get your hands dirty and create the life you want from the foundation up. And thanks again to Blue Apron. I just love cooking with them and so appreciate their support of my show. (laughs) 